Let's run to the Word. Would you open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 12? I've had just one of those weeks. Uh, I'm exhausted right now, and I share that with you because my prayer here is that Jesus would be the one to fill our cups because I will admit to you, right, and this is not like a, as Marlon says, like a weird flex. Uh, it's been a busy week. The devil, last week we talked about persecution. Remember, we finished the Beatitudes, and we talked about the blessing of the persecuted. And in talking about the blessing of the persecuted, we were talking about how as Christians we invite persecution because it's almost proof that something is happening within us that is good, right, that is Christ-like. And so... I went into this week, and as I go into this week, I'm like, I feel like something's going to happen this week. Like, things aren't going to work out, and the enemy's going to show his face because something is happening here at One Life. But remember, we receive persecution for his sake, for righteousness' sake, and we celebrate it because we know that it's because of him. It's not because of anything that we're doing. All we're doing is being obedient by being here and also by ministering his gospel. And so fast forward to the end of the week, we get a call from National Grid. And if you see they're trying to work on the flooding and the streets here and all that, and they email us, I call them, they're like, hey, on Friday, we want to come out and we're going to shut off your gas And we're going to change your lines. You're going to have like, it's going to be more efficient service, better this, better that. And I'm like, great. So Friday, they cut the gas. They come to get it back on. They barely knock on the door. They said no one was there, so we can't get your gas back on. I'm like, wait, someone's there. They come back. They go to our boiler. And for those of you who know, I'm still fairly new here. I had no idea that the boiler had issues that I didn't know about. And so they say, you know what, this isn't exhausting the right way, so we're not going to turn your gas back on. And I'm like, wait, we're a church. We're going into Palm Sunday. I can't not have heat in the house, even though now we have the AC on, but whatever. (laughs) So we had an event. We had an event on Friday night. And Saturday, we had our volunteer breakfast. Thank you for all of you who showed up. And then on Sunday, we knew today we had Palm Sunday. And I'm like, devil, you are dirty. But remember we said that... Like, we were talking outside, actually, and I was talking with a couple of men, and they're like, you know, but listen, Isaac, if, if, like, God is doing something big here, we should get ready for the enemy to attack. And I said to him, James, where are you? I said to James, I wish he would. I, w- I, said, the, I said the words. I said, I wish he would. And I've been thinking about those words all week. And here we are on Friday where I had to call out of work, run to the church, and make sure that there was heat in the house because we weren't just going to sit there and take it. And God made a way. Obviously, it was warm in here today. So um, all of that is to say that when we ask God for something, right, even when we ask him for patience, he's going to find a way for us to be rocked, for us to exercise that patience that he's already instilled in us. Why? Because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We carry that everywhere that we go. And so talking about persecution, here we walk into a space where we're now celebrating the entrance, the triumphal entrance of a king named Jesus, the king of all kings. You're not going to have this up here because I was moved in my spirit to share this with you quickly. John chapter 12, verse 1. Sorry, it looks like I read my Bible in the rain and now my pages are all messed up. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Lazarus was Jesus' friend who he had raised from the dead. And just like you and I celebrate and throw a dinner for people who have brought us back to life, Lazarus throws a dinner for his friend who had brought him back to life. And so Jesus is among his friends and among people that he knew and that he loved dearly. And I wanted to read this to you because of what comes next. Martha, verse 2, Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, and we read this before, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. If I never see you again, I want you to take this image with you, that she would take expensive ointment, that she, later on we see that one of the disciples complains that she could have sold that, but what she wanted to do was to anoint the feet of Jesus and not just rub it in with her hands, she used her hair. And remember, we said that back then we didn't have nice sneakers or boots like we do now. Feet were dirty. They were dusty. They were crusty. And she takes this ointment and she rubs his feet and grabs her hair to wipe it on his feet. This is worship. And this is just days before the Passover. Passover would have been six days from when this is happening. On the Friday of that holy week, the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. The perfume, again, was what? It was her worship. I'd like to see that this house, that one life, this church, and all churches, really, because the concern is not just for one life. The concern is for the kingdom of God. My desire for all churches that call themselves Christian churches and Bible-believing churches would be filled with the fragrance of the worship of the house. Have you ever walked into a place and you felt something like, wow, I don't know what it is, but there's something in this house. It was a year ago almost, May 9th of 2021, that I walked into this house to help my friend preach. Because he was tired. He had preached weeks in a row. And he said, would you mind just stepping in and preaching for me one Sunday? And we didn't have services until the afternoons. And I said, absolutely, brother, I'll be there. And I stood up here, right here. And before I started my sermon, something just overwhelmed me. Because I had never been to a house and there were less people than we have now. There were actually 32 people that day. We sat here, don't laugh at me, Mariah, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. When, I'm a numbers in a healthy way. That's not the point I want to talk about. I stood here, and as I'm about to start my sermon, something hit me. And some of you may remember this. But I came off of my notes, and I said, I don't know what it is about this house. But if I wasn't planting a church, this is a place where I would bring my family. And I said that in the beginning of the sermon. Fast forward 11 months, I'm the pastor here. So for those of us who are skeptical, and maybe I am, I'm not skeptical about prophecy. I'm skeptical about prophets. Because I know the prophetic happens, and it works, and it moves, and it's real. But there was an 
a fragrance in this house of God's move, and the room wasn't like it is right now. But I had never been to a church, never been to a church that had an honest worship like the little church that I walked into. Where in the moment of honest worship, people were just yelling out in worship. Like, do you understand how much can happen when you are willing to set your ego aside to worship in the manner that Martha did? That you would receive Christ and that you would anoint his feet with oil, but also use your hair to wipe it. And it says that she, what, she wiped her tears off of his feet with her hair as well. That's our worship. I wanted to read this to you. This wasn't even part of my sermon, but I will move fast. Because we can talk about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem year after year after year after year, but I want us to regard why Jesus had to come down into the flesh in the first place. It was because there were people down here that needed him, people like you, people like me, that were drowning in a sea of desperation, and we had nowhere else to go. And because of that, he had to come down from his throne. Don't misunderstand. He wasn't created in the, tomb of Ma- in the womb of Mary. He came down from his heavenly seat to save. And he knew what was coming. And days before, he approaches the gates of Jerusalem. It says that he wept. When he gazed upon Jerusalem, he wept. I didn't pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we pour oil on your feet this morning. And may you anoint our heads with your saving oils. May the fragrance of your change, may the fragrance of your reconciliation, Father, unto us and us unto you be evident forever in our lives. Speak to us this morning, O Lord, and may we leave here convinced once and for all that you are the king of all kings, even us when we think we're the kings. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 12 says, the next day the large crowd had come to the feast heard um, that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In 1976, in Central Africa, there was a president. His name was John, and you might know this just from history. His name was John Bedel Bokassa I. 
He proclaimed himself the new king of the newly named Central African Empire. Bakasa named himself king and was committed to gaining for himself, like Nebuchadnezzar that we talked about last week, for gaining for himself glory. With the help of the French government, he would proceed to throw himself a lavish coronation. And I invite you to go to YouTube and look up this man's coronation. At the time, he spent $20 million, which today is the equivalent of $90 million for this coronation. This was incredibly damaging to a country that at the time was one of the poorest countries in Africa. He copied and modeled his coronation after the coronation of his idol, someone he regarded often, Napoleon Bonaparte, and his coronation at Notre Dame in Paris. Mortal men with aspirations of greatness, creating for themselves the glory. And if you watch this video, and I was watching it late at night, and I'm like, just how some men really just, the need for affirmation that it doesn't matter that you hurt others as long as you are lifted up. And here we learn about a king who left everything aside that we might have everything that we needed. It's like the opposite of how kingdom works because we can look at the British monarchy today and say, hey, they don't do much that will affect the people for good. It's making sure that they are set up for generations to come because we don't want to kill the monarchy. So much so that this man in 1970s, which is still considered modern time, right? He's like, you know what? I like being in charge, so I'm going to create an I didn't even know you could create an empire. He creates a kingdom and lavishes himself and his family with these riches that the country did not have. Because there was something he needed to satisfy in himself. The sermon today, the title is, The King, capital K, Has Come. While the world has men who are self-proclaimed kings, today we celebrate the king of all kings. Prior to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he has a moment when he stops that I was just telling you about. He looks at the city and he laments. He looks at his assignment and he weeps. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 42 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is Jesus' display of compassion for the city. He knows what is about to come. And he wasn't even crying over the fact that he knew that he would have to be crucified on a cross. He was crying because he knew that even after his struggles in the flesh and to be crucified, that the world would continue to experience brokenness and sin. And these are the, this, these are the issues that we see when it comes to these holidays. That we approach Christ to celebrate what he did for us, but then on Monday we crucify him again. Billy Graham would point it as, we crucify him afresh, day after day after day after day. I don't want to ruin my Easter message, but I had a revelation the other day in the bathroom when I was just, my wife and I were getting ready for work, and I go to my wife, and I'm like, you know what's crazy about Easter? Check this out. That the Holy Week is our life. 
When Jesus first comes into our life, right, because they had the palms and they laid down the palms as Jesus walks into the city and they're excited for him to get there. Remember when you came to Christ and the excitement that you felt, you were overwhelmed, Lord, yes, save me, Hosanna. But what happens when the hype dies down? What happens on Monday of Holy Week? This was an entire week of ministry. It was his last week of life. Seven days. And if you look at, and I invite you when you get home, look at what happened in that Holy Week, that Passion Week. Jesus was working around the clock to make sure that everything was set up, that the table was ready for you and I. And many of those people that received him with palms were the same people that at the end of the week would say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So when we regard Jesus, we regard and we should look at him as king day after day after day. And not just take individual days to say, you know what? Today I need you enough to come and worship you. No. Because every other day we are, we are taking a chance at that hammer and nailing him back to that cross. And the cross isn't the cross where he overcomes death because that's been finished. Right? It's in our hearts, what we carry in our hearts. So he looks at the city, and he's crushed. Not only for his death, he saw the future suffering, destruction, and the scatteredness of his people. But the king has come. Back in John 12 that we were reading, verse 12, we see that the crowd has begun to gather Jesus was hot on the trail of all the miracles that he was performing, right? Because he was only on earthly ministry for three years. There was a lot that needed to be done. The people were expectant for his arrival, and he would arrive on the back of a donkey. This was significant because Jesus wasn't much for royal attention, even though he knew who he was. He knew he was a king, but he knew that Holy Week was the assignment. It was the assignment to come and deliver himself in sacrifice. Because we can't even freely say that people just murdered him. He sacrificed himself because he knew the assignment. And before he even gets to even the donkey that he rode in on had a story. Because Jesus knew that he had to fulfill prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Remember, we see that also in the book of John, which is written hundreds of years later. And daughter of Zion is Israel, Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. I, I need you to understand this. This is 600 years before this actually happens. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus could have easily walked in because Jesus was a man of meekness and humility. But he says, wait, I also have to satisfy the prophecy. I am he. And so he goes and, call, and calls for a donkey. And then also says in scripture, like, don't worry, tell them I'll give him back. 
But he knew that he had to come in in the way that the prophecy had set up for him to come in, to ride on a donkey. And look at how he was received. For those of you who may not know why Palm Sunday is called Palm Sunday, this is why. Because they grabbed the branches off of these palm trees and they laid it so that this king wouldn't have to touch the ground. Coming to America. Anybody watch that, the original? Because the second one, I don't know about it. Right? Right? Is that just me? The second one, I was just like, mm, no. The first one, though, remember? Garcelle Beauvais from Jamie Foxx show, right? See? Grabbing the, the rose petals so that the king or the future king wouldn't have to touch the floor with his bare feet. So he would walk on rose petals. It's the same thing here. The, and they would lay them as... This donkey would walk down the streets. They were laying them down so that this king wouldn't touch the floor. If only they had kept that energy, right? The end result wouldn't have been different. That's key. That's key. Sometimes I, when I was little, I would get mad because my mom and my dad would take us to see this play out east. And it was a good play. And it was the part where, like, Jesus was bloodied and he was beaten and they would, the stage would go black and all you heard was <laughs> the lashings that Jesus would receive. And then when the lights would come back, it was Jesus hanging on the cross. And I was a little kid and that would crush me. And I was convinced even as a little kid that, like, why would he do that for me? Why would he do that for me? I was a little kid. What had I, what had I done in my life? But why would somebody do that for me? But he had to do it. And I would get mad when we would see the, the, the actors, the Roman soldiers, like pretending to hit Jesus because it was a good play, right? And I was just, no, 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 don't do that. But then I learned that, hey, <laughs> if anything, they were also on assignment. Remember what we watched last week, that woman that was getting beaten because she had the Bible in her head. They wanted to beat it out of her. And she looks in the middle of her beating, she looks at them and she says, hey, it's okay. I forgive you because I know that you're doing a job. But the reason why I share Christ is because I'm doing my job. So Jesus, as he's being beaten, as he's hanging on the cross, he says, Lord, right before he dies, forgive them because they know not what they do. They were just on assignment. As Jesus walks into the city, there are different types of people receiving him in, on different types of assignments. I'm going to ask you to consider what your assignment is as Jesus enters your life. There were three groups of people that I'd like to talk about. The first group is the religious. It was the Passover feast in Jerusalem. The city was packed. It wasn't uncommon for there to be opposers of the religious attempting to create an uprise just to cause confusion. The religious knew of the deeds and miracles that were performed by Jesus because they were curious about all of it. They were everywhere that Jesus was because they were trying to find a way to shut him up. They were trying to find a way to kill him and also to kill his miracles, which is why just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, they try to kill Lazarus. Like you're trying to kill a guy that was just brought back to life? Like that's foolish. Jesus will just bring him back.
Jesus had come not just to satisfy the law, but also to fulfill this messianic prophecy, which is insane because these men knew scripture. They knew what they were waiting for. And when it came, they were so used to the slavery of their religion that they said, you know what? We don't want it. That's the first group. The second group is the believer point of view, the people who were laying down these palms as Jesus was walking into this area, into this city. The reason why today is referred to as Palm Sunday, it was a royal gesture that these people made towards their king. The people thought Jesus had finally come to restore peace by taking down the Roman Empire and its oppression. They thought that Jesus' victory was like a physical victory because they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. So they received him, of course, with so much joy. And as the week passed, they realized like, oh, wait, this isn't like an actual deliverance from the physical oppression of the Roman Empire. This is something different. And because they were filled with the wrong intention, many of them, not all of them, but many of them were quickly turned all within these seven days. Jesus could see beyond the momentary deliverance because he knew the people tended to error. Jesus wanted to secure our freedom once and for all with his sacrifice. His assignment wasn't for the momentary peace that we experience, but it was for an eternal peace. And then we also see the Roman point of view. Are you capturing this? Different people in this one city receiving this triumphal entry in different ways. The religious as a threat. The people with hope but confusion because they were doing it for the wrong reasons. But many of them were also strong believers that he was the Christ. And then we see the Roman point of view. The Romans had a relationship with the religious because the religious helped them hold order in the city. But here was a guy that was coming into the city claiming to be a king. But they looked upon him as a joke. And even in his triumphal entry, when we look at John chapter 12, as it talks about, and we can see this in all the gospels in their own accounts of what was happening, they say words like Hosanna, which we see in chapter 118 of the book of Psalm. Save us, Lord, which is what Hosanna means. All of this was the fulfillment of prophecy written many, many years before. And the people didn't even know that they were operating in the prophetic, saying these words, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the point of Hosanna was save us. They knew they needed saving, but they thought it was from the hands of the Romans. So the Romans knew that they had a power over the people. And here comes a guy that they are screaming Hosanna to and save us now, Lord. That's a threat. When Jesus comes into any space, he is a threat. Right? We, we like to look at the cuddly sheep, lamb holding Jesus. And he is. He's gentle. He's loving. But he comes to disrupt he comes to knock walls down, that he would look at religion and say, this is not what I want. As a pastor, when I'm in my moment with the Lord, I always want to make sure, like, Father, 
all we want to do is be a church that prays and worships you with genuineness. I want to have the type of church or just be a member of the type of church where we could sit there, we could worship, and if one day you decide to show up in the flesh, you would look around and say, this is it. Do you ever think about that? When Jesus walks into your house, if he ever were to walk into your house as uninvited, on a Friday night, on a Sunday morning, which seems to be like the worst sometimes, we got to get to church, right? Like, everybody's angry. We're going to church. Relax. <laughs> that didn't happen in my house growing up. I don't want to get papao. But if Jesus were to walk into any one of the spaces where we are supposed to be worshiping him and honoring him and lifting him, would he walk into your space and say, oh, this is it? Because I can tell you what, when he walked into Lazarus' house, and Martha bent down, took this expensive ointment, and rubbed it on his feet, that's something that he would have gazed upon and said, hey, this is it. I have a heart for worship, and you guys know this. And for months, we've been really just like, hey, when you come into musical worship in particular, when you come in, it's your chance to say thank you. Well, Pastor Isaac, I don't know the words. That's fine. Just say thank you. I don't know how to pray. That's fine. Just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If there's nothing else you do for me, thank you. Ryan texted me the other day. I'm going to put you on blast, brother, because I've been having an amazing time with some of these new believers that have been. And he's like, hey, do you know a prayer? What was it? You asked, do you know a prayer for like, he was feeling anxious that morning, right? He said, do you know a prayer for this? I said, yes, I know a prayer for everything. And what did I say to you? Lord, I need your help now. Done. But again, some of us grew up in the context where it was just like, hey, there's a prayer for this, and I thank you for that, and I do this, and repeat this a hundred times. And I need you. I need you. And if you find yourself like, I know I... I, don't, I know that maybe, maybe it's just me, but there's times where I'm just like, I, I don't know what I need, but I know I need you. And I don't even know what to pray for. Because as a pastor, I have 100 people in this room right now that I can pray for. But even then, I'm just like, just thank you. If you are ever around me, you'll realize that there's something that I say all day. And maybe my wife is the only one who knows this. Help us, Lord. Even at, even at work. Like, well, why? What happened? Like, no, nothing. I just need help. I'll be sweeping. I hate sweeping. So it's probably the sweeping, but I'll be sweeping. Help, help us, Lord. I'll be in my office at work. Just help me, Lord. But again, like, I, nothing's wrong. But even in my best days, I need saving. I need help. So I understand when the apostles would say, pray without ceasing. That's not like, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you again for this minute and the following minute and the one after that. No, it's, Lord, I, I need you every minute of the day. Lord, help me now. Lord, save me. 
me now. So it's significant for us as believers if we have an intentional relationship with Jesus to want to cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna! On my best days, Hosanna. On my worst day, Hosanna. And what does it mean? Save us now. And then if you're bold enough, you would say Maranatha, which means come now. Because just like me, you might have days where you're like, enough of this, please. Save us. My question to you today, and I'll wrap up, is this. In the kingdom that is your life, where you are Pontius Pilate, and you are the religious, and you are the believer, you are the the crowd, how do you receive Christ? Does he disrupt much of your religion? Oh, come on now. I'm fine. I'm religious. I hate, do you understand that I hate that terminology? And, and as a pastor, people come to me and say, well, you're religious. Like, mm. I know what you mean, so I'm going to say yes. But if there's anything that has deterred people from the cross, it's religion. You know what? I don't really do the church thing because what I really, it's the people. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. You don't come to church for people. And if one day I say something that offends you, then you know what? You should do the following Sunday. Come back. Because I'm made out of flesh and bone just like you. We come because we too are called on assignment. And I've been sitting with some of you where in this season of transition, like, hey, you know what? This church, Isaac, it's like, I, just, the transition's been hard on us and the church is kind of coming together. There's a lot happening. You know what? Don't come here for people. You come here to worship. Don't allow people, don't allow your circumstances, don't allow your struggles, don't allow what other people in your house did to you keep you from crawling back to the cross day after day after day. Why? Because just like me, you, like these people, have to say day after day, Hosanna. Hosanna. Is Jesus a threat to your religion? Is he in the way of your culture and your opinion? Do you, do you only want his freedom without his kingship? How are you receiving Jesus into the kingdom that is your life today? Let's pray.